0: Okay, so this is us. This is who we are as a church. We have seven values that we are wanting to uh, teach on, to bring across, to inspire, to encourage. And last week, we started with Jason speaking about unity. If my face is going very red, it's because I'm hot already. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and um, he really did a fantastic message about how important it is to have unity we cannot have unity if we don't love those that we serve with and those that we serve and the community at large. So if you didn't get to listen to the message um, online as well, you can, you can download it from our website or on our podcasts. But these seven values that we want to cover, so last week was unity, today I'm going to speak about generosity, and um, some of our other values are um, devotion, warmth, humility, faithfulness, celebration, there's just... these um, values are not just church values. They're not just values that we like. And so therefore, when you come on a Sunday, those are the values that we want you to have. These are kingdom values. These are values that you find in the Bible And so we actually want these values to become a part of who we are so that when we leave the building on a Sunday, we actually take these values into our communities, into our workplaces. And so that is why we want um, us as a church to be living these values every single day. All right. Now, I I heard the story um, in the... Second century, which was uh, second century, was AD, so before Jesus, um, people that would have, they would have been referred to as pagans, okay, unbelievers, um, which I don't know if there's a better word, but anyway, that's the word we're going to go with this morning. Um, they lived um, in a, in a time where, um, especially in the, in the Roman Empire, the cities, uh, the historians actually. Um, reported that about every 13 years they um, had a massive calamity. There would be a massive disaster that they would face. It would either be a disaster of um, fire or an earthquake or a plague or even um, uh, like a a war. You know, there would be like a, a military conquest. And what the people would do every time this calamity or this disaster would uh, fall on them is that um, they would react in a certain way. Now you can imagine every time something happened in the in the second century, the way that things were built, um, everything would burn down. Everything would tumble because everything was 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 uh, fire well, hazardous. If you want to call it that, okay. So everything would burn down, and what people would do is they would literally just want to take care of themselves. So they would um, just, like like let's say somebody got the plague and, and now all of a sudden everyone's getting the plague and they would just drop down sick on the side of the road. They would literally kick them into the ditches. Like they didn't want to have to deal with sick people. They didn't want to have to deal with trouble. They would run from trouble. And not only did they run from trouble, they would leave their children. They would leave their loved ones, they would leave their neighbors, they would leave the elderly because the, the mindset or the view of the pagans at that time was, I need to save myself, me first. And so that was very much how life was uh, before Christ. Then in... Um, the third century, there was a theologian by the name of Eusebius of Caesarea. I think I've actually got a photo of him coming up. Um, There you go. A photo. Okay, I'm glad Jason picked up on that. Okay, it's a photo. We'll just pretend it's a photo and pretend that's what he looked like. Okay, and he is obviously coming out of a time which was before Christ and now he is seeing what's happening in the world after Christ and this is what he wrote he says so now there's still calamity there's still disaster there's still war there's still plagues there's still fire there's still earthquake and this is what he says the christians were the only people who amidst such terrible ills showed their fellow feeling and humanity by their actions. Day by day, some would busy themselves with attending the dead and burying them. Others gathered in one spot all who were afflicted by hunger throughout the whole city and gave bread to all. When this became known, the people, that is the pagan population glorified the Christian God and convinced by the very facts confessed that the Christians alone were truly pious and religious. So from one extreme to the other, we're, we're kicking people into the, into the gutters because I, you know I have to save myself, to watching people take care. And they would have got sick from taking care. They would have also suffered from taking care. But something changed, and that something was meeting Jesus, was hearing the truth about Jesus, was having who Jesus was give them a new perspective on generosity. So the only people that stood up for what they believed in at that time were the Christians, and um, what set them apart what people noticed about them was that their love for people, their generosity, and their service. That's what set them apart. And what happened during that time, this um, Eusebius of Caesarea um, uh, writes that um, there was so much growth in the Christian church at that time that all the countries on the Mediterranean um, actually had like massive growth and um The church exploded because of what people were seeing, of what they were witnessing from these Christians, from these people who were acting differently to what they had known before, who were acting out of a love and a concern, and not only for themselves, but for others. And so I was thinking about this a lot, and I was thinking, when we look at our own lives, when we look at the world around us today, all right, um, it's very clear that even if we call ourselves Christians, we are very much affected by the culture of the world around us. Very often, we actually have to ask ourselves, are we following the culture of the world or are we following the culture of God's kingdom? Because the world today has so mixed the two together that sometimes we don't know the difference. Sometimes we don't know, is this actually what God would want, how he would want me to live? Or is this actually what the world has convinced me And I've become so accustomed to that culture, I don't know the difference. Anyone relate to that? I know I do. And um, when that happens, when we become um, so influenced by the world, it actually starts influencing the way we even read God's word. We even start taking God's word out of context. And God's word says, it's better to give than to receive. But let's be honest, giving in the way that the Bible talks about goes against um, conventional wisdom. Okay? Conventional wisdom see, says, keep everything you have. Godly um, wisdom says that generous living is the approach that we should have to life. Generous living is the way that we should do things. Now, let me clarify before I go any further this is not a message about money. This is a message about a heart attitude to living a generous life. Because if generous living was just about money, that would be easy for for actually most of us. Because if we earned a hundred rand and gave one rand to somebody, or whether we earned a million rand and gave a hundred thousand to somebody, we would just think, well, money solves everything. But generous living is about a heart. It's about a lifestyle. It's about an attitude um, that is so much more encompassing than just that. So let me give you a kind of working definition of generosity. So generosity is a lifestyle, a lifestyle in which we share all that we have who we are, or will become as evidence of God's love. That's a lifestyle of generosity. It's not enough for us just to talk about generosity. We can't just talk about it and say, oh, I want to be generous. What makes generosity a real and powerful witness to God's love is our actions. That is what makes it real and powerful, is that, is that our actions and our words, our words and our actions need to line up. Generosity flows from a belief that all that we have and who we are is not ours to hoard, but ours to share, because God has shared all that he is with us. Anyone ever watch those shows on TV where people have hoarding issues? Picture yourself hoarding like that, where it's just chaos, and you, you can't even walk through the house, and you can't, you can't think straight, you can't cope. That is what happens when we hoard all that God has, has given us, all that he has made us to be. It's like, it's like those shows, you know? We need to clear it out. We need to get rid of it, because what happens when we don't hoard? What happens when we give? When you, when you hold something tight in your hand, all right, everyone do this, okay? When you let it go, what happens? Your hand is open for God to give you again. And so you give, you get, and you give. And that is what a generous lifestyle is. And Jesus spoke about generosity a lot. There are so many scriptures where Jesus talks about generosity. And... Um, If Jesus spoke about it so much, then we should take note of it. Then we should actually see what he has to say. And hopefully what it will do is it will help us to better understand and how we should respond to the biblical message. generosity. Now, let's go back to the beginning, because I think it's always good to go to the beginning and see, right? When we know in um, Genesis 3, 1 to 7, we read about how the serpent approached Eve in the Garden of Eden, and she um, is is having a conversation with him, which again was the first mistake, okay? And she... um, he, he asks her, what is it that God has given you? What are you allowed to do? And, of course, she says, I'm allowed to eat from all the trees we're allowed to have from, from, from all the trees in the garden except that one tree. And what is the first thing that th- the serpent does is he taps into her, into her need for wanting more. He says, but did he really say that you can't have? Why wouldn't you want that? Imagine being able to have everything you have and that. Have more, you know? And he actually tempts her to the point where she gives in and she eats it. And what does that do? She eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and it opens her eyes not to be better, but to realize where God was protecting her or protecting them from good and evil. Now she sees good and evil and she hasn't received more. She's actually lost in the long run. She's actually now living. Um, you know, in, in, a, in a way that she didn't have to before. She's aware, they're aware of their nakedness, and that's nakedness outside and inside. You know, where all of a sudden, you, you know, you're so aware, what can I share, what can't I share? And it changed everything. So since the beginning of time, humanity has been confronted with this lie that we see in Genesis. This lie that what God has given you isn't enough. And that's a lie, that what God has given you isn't enough. And today we are constantly bombarded with this lie. We are constantly bombarded with this message that what ends up happening is it results in us being more selfish and materialistic. And so we think, okay, well then obviously if the Joneses next door have this, I also need that. So I can't give because I need to get more. And I won't get more if I give. I won't have more time to myself if I give of myself. I won't um, be able to watch five hours of Netflix if I give four hours to the, to, to the church or to the community project or to that family member of mine who needs help. It becomes almost like a scarcity mindset. I don't have enough, so I've got to get more. Author uh, Randy Alcorn, he shares an interesting insight into this question, right, into this question of, um, like, I want more. He says, God's grace is the lightning and our giving is the thunder. Just like thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. It is possible to give without a deep understanding of God's grace, because we see many people give um, who don't have an understanding of God's grace, but it is impossible to have a deep understanding of grace and not give. So God's grace is the lightning and our giving is the thunder. So is it possible that we actually don't have a generosity problem? Maybe we have an understanding of grace problem we actually don't understand his grace, or we haven't had a revelation of his grace, okay? So think about radical generosity for a moment, okay? Just think about somebody that you know, or maybe you have given radical generosity. Um, It's easy to give out of obligation. It's easy to give to say, okay, well, I've got to do my duty, you know, I've got to... um, uh, you know, it's a requirement of me to give of my money, to give of my time, to give of my resources, you know, it's a duty, rather than that giving be a thunderous clap because of God's grace, okay, where we are so grateful for what he has done for us that, that our generosity is a, like a thunderous response to what God has done for us. And I know for a lot of us, we think, well, that's irresponsible. You know, what if um, I give something that I didn't want to give away? What if, um, you know, shouldn't I be storing, saving, keeping my walls up high, protecting myself? Shouldn't I be doing that? That can often be our response to generosity. And um, on our website, um, it actually says, we we have one uh, page on our website where it says that we believe that Jesus is the purest example of generosity. Jesus not only offered his life, he also gave of himself in teachings, healings, feeding the hungry, caring for the vulnerable, and cared for those far from God. So he is the purest example of generosity. And a misconception about generosity is that um, generosity is only um, a response to justice or compassion. We think, okay, um, I've heard about this need, so I've got to be compassionate. I've got to like, fulfill that social justice need. And we think that that equals generosity. Yes, it does, but that's not all. It's so much more than that, okay? Generosity is a response to God's grace, and it's a lifestyle. So it's not just responding to a need. It's an everyday thing. It's having a revelation of what generosity is and making it part of your everyday life. Generosity is a learned habit of being open-handed and available with all that we are and all that we have. And you know what generosity does? It changes things inside of us. But not only does it change things inside of us, it changes the atmosphere around us. It changes everything. Anyone ever been around someone who is really generous and there's just this, Atmosphere of lightness and and I'm not talking about where there are strings attached. Not that type of generosity. I'm talking about pure godly generosity, where it's just great to be around those people because you know their their heart. You know, it's it's like God is shining out of them. You know, Jesus, they're shining Jesus's light. But I think sometimes what happens is that we're afraid to give. We're afraid that if we give, we'll be taken for granted, that we'll be taken advantage of, um, we'll lose something that we wanted. But, you know, we don't have to be afraid of generosity. When we have a personal revelation of biblical generosity, we don't have to be afraid because we still speak to God. We still ask God to lead us and to guide us in our generosity. We don't just roll on the floor and say, everyone, walk all over me. That's not the generosity I'm talking about. That's being walked all over. I'm talking about a generosity where your heart attitude is open to God to say, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? God, how do you want me to respond? What is it that I can give of myself? What resources do I have that will make a difference in this situation? The message paraphrase of Proverbs 11.24 is hectic, but I'm going to read it anyway. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Okay, that's hectic, I know. But I think it's a good way to explain because what happens is, is that when we keep things to ourselves, our mindset becomes smaller, our focus becomes smaller, and actually our world becomes smaller. We have less influence. We have, yeah, it's just everything becomes smaller. But when we are generous, our hearts are open, our world becomes larger and we have more influence. I love what Pastor Chris Hodges says. He says, The value of life isn't determined by how much I achieve or accumulate, but by how much of myself I give away. Can I say that again? The value of life isn't determined by how much I achieve or accumulate, but by how much of myself I give away. And we get to choose to live generously. Isn't that amazing? No one's going to force you. We actually get to choose it. But we need to choose it because we're actually going to like that person that we become when we live a generous lifestyle, okay? We actually get to choose to be generous, Psalm 112 verse 5 says that good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Now, I want to read the scripture to you. It's a little bit long, but I just absolutely love it. And it's going to come up on the screen. Okay, it's from 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 to 12. It says, and this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church about what he has seen happen in Macedonia. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God um, has given the Macedonian churches. Now, listen to this. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That is like backwards, right? Okay. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people, because it's a privilege to share what God has given you. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, this is very important, first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. There's an order. You give yourself first to God and then to others. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have um, kindled in you, does it say kindled? Sorry, I can't read. Okay, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. So what is he saying? You guys are fantastic in all everything that makes you a great church, but don't forget about generosity. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through this, his poverty might become rich. And there is my judgment, and here is my judgment, about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So remember, it's not just about giving, it's the desire to give, because it's not about forcing you to do something. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. And then it says, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. Don't compare your giving to somebody else. Don't compare how you are generous to somebody else. Because remember it says that if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. Isn't that like a comfort? You can breathe a sigh of relief. I don't need to give or have a generous lifestyle compared to somebody else. I just need to give according to what I have. Not according to what... One does not have. Generosity is something that we get to choose. And so I just want to quickly mention three things that, will, um, that I believe um, helps us with a generous lifestyle. So, generous living from a place of grace, okay? When we want to live generous lives, we've got to start from a place of grace. God's greatest act of generosity was sending his son, Jesus. To die for our sins. We all know, at least if you don't know, I'm just saying we all, as in it's, if you've been a Christian for many years, it's a very well known scripture, John 3, verse 16. Okay, won't you all say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So we know that generosity comes from God. But what is the motivation for generosity in our lives? What is the motivation? Let's first look at what was God's motivation, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave. So the motivation for generosity is love. So we've received grace because God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son. And so our response to that is that, well, God, if I love you, I will be generous because I am grateful for that grace, for that love, for what you have given me. And because God loves, God is generous. So when I look at grace, when I look at what Jesus did, I'm just amazed at how extraordinary Jesus is. I was listening to a message of um, Chris Hodges and he says that like Jesus saw that there was a sin problem and he didn't just write a check. Jesus saw that there was a sin problem and he didn't send somebody else. He gave his life. He gave what he had, what he could. He gave his own life. He gave himself for us. And then we can also look at generous living from a place of gratitude. So we've, you, you can look at it from a place of grace, and then you need to look at it from a place of gratitude. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says that each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know that that scripture is not just about money? It's about your life. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, in my life, I've experienced many, many, many generous people, but my life started out where I used to spend an enormous amount of time with my Oma, my my mother's mom, because she was a single mom and I used to have to often stay by her school holidays, weekends, and so on, and she was one of the most generous people that I knew. If she was cooking a pot of food and somebody came knocking on the door to ask her something, she would wanna offer them a plate of food she would give the clothes off her back to to um, help somebody. She would have one rand in her purse because she earned the government pension. She would have one rand in her purse because when I was a little girl, I would ask if I could go to the shop up the road to buy some sweets. It would be her last one rand, but she would give it to me. Another person that I just feel lives and and I'm only sharing this because I can only share from my own experience that I feel lives an extremely generous life is my mother-in-law, Rensha. Yeah. She gives of herself in ways that we would never even see, how she cares for people, drives people around, takes a, a, a young lady in our church to hospital when she is sick. Um, cares for those who need caring. Cares for her children. Cares for her grandchildren. Will drive up and down in, in 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 this area to pick my my children up to help Calvin with, with Isabella. To just one of the most generous people. And and you know sometimes I can see the burden on her face, but she won't say no if she believes that that is what God wants her to do. And so. My mom-in-law is one of the most generous people that I know. The thing is that we see God's generosity, we see his grace, and maybe we think we want to repay him. You know, we think, okay, well, surely I I should repay you, God. Psalm 116 uh, verse 12 says that, what can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? We can't. We can offer him, we, we can't repay him for what he has done But generous living affects those around us, right? So if you're a really generous person, it affects those around you. And so people might ask, why? Why are you so generous? Why do you do what you do? Let's look at Exodus 13, verse 14 to 15. It says, And in the future your children will ask, what does all this mean? Then you will tell them. Sorry, this is when the Israelites were... um, set free from, from Egypt, and uh, the, the parents were obviously sacrificing gifts to God to thank him for what he had done, and now the kids are asking them, why do you do this? And, this, and then the response is, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the place of our slavery. And later on, um, further down, it says, that is why I now sacrifice. When your generosity affects your children, when your children say to you, why do you get up to come and do set up a church? Why do you get up early to serve on the worship team? Why do you get up early to do kids church? Why do you give that waiter such a huge tip? Why did you give that person money? then you can say, because like this, this, the Israelites were once slaves in Egypt, God stretched out his mighty hand and saved me from slavery. And that's why I give. That's why I sacrifice my time and sacrifice my resources and sacrifice my money. Because he stretched out his generous arm and said, you don't have to stay in slavery. You can be set free. And people will often ask me, my family, I come from a very big family. My mom was one of 10 children. So I have 17 cousins. And they'll say to me, why, you know, especially when I first got married to Jason and and we were in the church, why do you do what you do? And I say, because when I was 24 years old and in a dark pit, God stretched out his mighty arm and rescued me from a life that was not pleasing to him That was very sad and depressing, and that's why I do what I do, and that's why for 16 years I did children's ministry, because I was like, I want to give back. I want children to experience what I didn't get to experience. I want people to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ, and so that is why, and we need to be intentional with our giving. I had a third point, but I'm not going to go into it right now, but we need to be intentional we need to understand why we need to be generous. We need to understand that our heart attitude is what needs to change. We can't force ourselves to have a certain heart attitude. We have to spend time with God. We have to read the Word. We have to get to a place where that heart attitude is something that takes place inside each and every one of you. You have um, you have time that you can give. Okay, maybe. Um, it's 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 time that you can give on a Sunday. Maybe it's time that you give in the week to helping somebody maybe get to a doctor's appointment or going shopping for somebody that, that doesn't have a car or whatever it might be. And and you know that all of those things are worship. All of those things are worship to God. You've got a talent that God has given you. We all, every single one of us have a talent. You can use that. You can be intentional with your talent, you can be intentional with your touch. You could send a message today, maybe as you leave here, God put somebody on your on your mind. Maybe your, your mom or dad, maybe a friend, a sibling. And you think, oh, I need to message that person and encourage them because they're on my mind. That's giving your touch. It's another way of saying it's giving your smile away, okay? You need to be intentional with your treasure. Just be intentional. Maybe today you're going to go out and eat somewhere. I'm taking my, my daughter out. We're going to have a, a mommy daughter date. Okay, maybe we, I didn't say mommy anymore. She's 17, but you know what I mean. Maybe you want to bless the waiter, not because I said so, but because you ask God and you just want to be generous. Maybe there's somebody that you know is struggling and you just want to be generous. Maybe there's somebody that just needs some of your time to sit and have a coffee, they just need your wisdom. Just be generous, be intentional. Maybe you have resources that can help. Just be generous. Just be intentional. You know what would be great? Is, as, is as, as a church, if we are known, to just knock people's socks off with our generosity. And you know, as a church, we have been so blessed by people's generosity. This building is only here because of people's generosity. One of the biggest um, financial Um, investments in this church is somebody who does not even live in the Western Cape. We've never met them. Jason's spoken to them on the phone, but we've never met. Generosity, if we, we have been so blessed, I really believe that we are called to be a generous church. We are called to be a generous church. And so, Let's just close our eyes for a moment and I wanna encourage you that when you give yourself first to the Lord, all other giving is easy, but you need to give yourself to Him first. And so I just wanna start there. Maybe you've never actually given yourself to Jesus where you've surrendered yourself and you've said, you know what? Jesus, I hear about you, I hear about having a relationship with you, I hear about what it is to be in an intimate relationship with you, but I've never taken that step, then this morning I want to encourage you to let that be the first step that you take. Let that be the step where you realize God's grace on your life. You realize what He has done for you, what He has paid, the price He has paid, and where you respond with a thunderous clap and you say, God, I want to be in a personal relationship with you. I am going to ask you to be bold this morning. And if you want me to pray for you, I'm going to ask you to actually just put your hand up. No one is looking around. But if you want to say, yes, Susan, I want to start a personal relationship with Jesus. Won't you respond with a thunderous clap? by just putting your hand up so that I can see who I'm praying for.